So we are on lesson 13 of our summer quarter, and the title of our lesson is The 70-Week Prophecy, or Daniel's Prayer. We will be covering Daniel chapters 8 through 12, mainly chapter 9. So Lord, we thank you that uh, for this great answer to prayer that you gave to Daniel, and the great prayer that he prayed, which is recorded for us in chapter 9. And we pray that as we look at that, and we look at the prophecy that you would teach us of, number one, how to pray, and number two, of the things that are to come. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first, chapter 8 the quarterly skips, but I'll just go over it briefly here. So, um, chapter 8 starts out in 548 BC, which was the third year of Belshazzar. Belshazzar was Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. And uh, he, Belshazzar, is described in the book of Daniel in chapter 5. He was the one who saw the writing on the wall. And he was the one who was killed that night and lost the kingdom to Darius. But in chapter 8, Daniel got a vision of a ram and a goat. And then an angel came to him, and that angel's name was Gabriel, and interpreted his dream for him. The ram was Medo-Persia, the goat was Greece, the first horn of the goat was Alexander the Great, who conquered Persia and then subsequently died. Alexander died at the age of 32 years old, thought to be complications of debauchery and things. And he did not leave an heir, and so his kingdom was inherited by his four generals. And those were the four horns that are depicted in chapter 8 of the, uh, of the goat. One of those was uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, who is a foreshadow of the Antichrist and actually desecrated the Jewish temple with a pig on the altar and a image of Zeus in the temple. And so he's a foreshadowing of the end-time Antichrist. So that was chapter 8 uh, concerning um, Medo-Persia and Greece. So then section A is the concern of Daniel. Daniel is going to go to prayer here, and that is verses 1 through 3. Can somebody read 1 through 3 of chapter 9? Okay, thank you, Shirley. Yeah, so we get a little dating here. So this prayer was in the first year of Darius. So this was after the conquest of Babylon by the Medes. And it was, uh, the first year of Darius was 539 B.C. So remember the last lesson that actually got recorded on the Internet, Daniel was 15 years old. Now, this is 66 years later. Daniel is about 81 or 82 years old here in this prayer. So Darius was the son of Ahasuerus. And you remember King Ahasuerus, we saw in the book of Esther. He's also known as Xerxes. And he was the one who took Esther as his queen. And Darius assumed uh, rulership over Babylon, and that was described at the end of chapter 5 in Daniel, if you want to go back and read that. I'll just, I'll just read the last two verses of chapter 5. This was after the writing on the wall. The handwriting on the wall says, That same night Belshazzar the Chaldean king was slain, 
So Darius the Mede received the kingdom at about the age of 62. So that was the Darius we're talking about here. So in verse 2, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years, which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So what prompted Daniel to pray here? In verse 2. So Daniel was doing something that caused him to pray. What was he doing? What causes us to pray many times? He was reading the Bible. Yeah, and reading the Bible specifically because he says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah. And it was 70 years. So Daniel was reading his Bible. Now, is that important for us? It is exceedingly important to read your Bible. Exceedingly important if you want to grow at all as a Christian. This is what Jesus said about the Bible or the scriptures. Matthew 4, verse 4. But he, Jesus, answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's one reason why we're a Bible church. <laughs> so this is how we are guided by God. We are guided by God in our life as we are in his word, and the word interacts with us in our life. And that is how God guides us. Uh, mainly. So, and what was Daniel reading? He was reading the portion of the scriptures that was written by, Dan, or by Jeremiah, right? And that told him how long the Babylonian captivity would be. So, Jeremiah 25, verse 11 says, this whole land of Israel, Judah, will be a desolation and a horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will be when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, declares the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it an everlasting de desolation. So notice how did Daniel interpret these numbers? 70 years as they were when people yeah a lot of people liberal churches in particular tend to spiritualize the numbers and say they mean something else you know when it says 70 years that's exactly what it means it means 70 years and so that's what Daniel is doing and so he began to pray so I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So he was very serious about it. So he began to pray. What was he praying for? Yeah, this, this prayer is mainly a prayer of confession, isn't it? And Daniel knew that confession need to be made because of the devastation that had happened, right? Yes. And it had happened nearly 70 years ago now. Yeah, in verse 19 of chapter 9, he says, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action for your own sake. O my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. What are we to pray for? You know, in the Lord's Prayer, what are some of the things that we are to pray for? Okay, yes, we're to pray for forgiveness. Yeah, okay, guidance. The Lord gives us an outline of how to pray. This is the disciples' prayer. This is from Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Pray then in this way, our Father, who is in heaven. So 
when we believe in Jesus, we are uh, authorized to call God our Father. We are adopted children. Hallowed be your name. So we want to pray for that, that his name is hallowed. And then your kingdom come. That may be what Daniel was thinking here, that God's kingdom, the Messiah's kingdom would come, that the Messiah would come after these desolations in Babylon. Um, it does not say that specifically in the text that we're looking at. He kind of just asked God to forgive and restore. But he may have been thinking that, possibly. And we're to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we want to pray that his will would be done. And so probably one of the best things to do is that we would follow his will personally. That's how we can have a part in, in the answer to that prayer that his will would be done in our lives as we read his word and we see what his will is. Then he says to give us this day our daily bread, so give us our needs, and forgive us our debts. You know, that's one that we don't always think about, that we need to pray for forgiveness of our sin. As... We also have forgiven our debtors, so it reminds us that we are to forgive others too. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So a lot of times that's something we forget to pray about too, to not be tempted to sin. So, but I think Daniel was, the reason he was doing this was he wanted Jerusalem to be restored, the temple to be restored, temple worship to be restored, and and he was probably thinking of the kingdom. He, he wanted the Messiah to come. So how was your prayer life? Would you say? Yeah, we want to think after the Lord. Yeah, Daniel was a very good example for us all his life. That You know, Daniel was one of the only biblical characters that nothing bad is written about him. You know, we know that he's not sinless because he's human, but he has no marks on his record in in the in the Bible. Very few people can say that. Right. Yes. Yeah, so Daniel had a very good prayer life. And we see that in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 7. Remember, Daniel chapter 6 is about Daniel <clears throat> and the lion's den. And the reason he was thrown into the lion's den was that they tricked the king into making an edict that only he would be the only one anyone prayed to for, I think it was 30 days. Yes, for 30 days. Well, Daniel ignored that. And this is what it says. Chapter 6, verse 7. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an instruction or an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is the injunction. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. So he prayed three times a day. When they made a law that he would not, he was not to do that, he ignored the law and continued on. And that is how we should treat government edicts that tell us not to do what the Lord wants. For example, COVID restrictions, saying you cannot have church. That should simply be ignored because the, the Lord says to meet. The Lord says to meet. And we made a mistake. 
last time it came around. I'm saying this because it's coming up again. And so uh, we will not make that mistake again. I don't know. But COVID, yeah, COVID restrictions are coming up again. So, um, but that is something that we should not comply with because the Lord says that we are to meet. So in difficult times, prayer maintains emotional health, don't you think? Yes, it does. And that is Philippians. If you're ever anxious, if you're ever feeling worried, um, you know, the Bible gives you a command not to be worried. So if you're feeling worried, look at Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, which says, Be anxious or worried for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You know, so while you're praying, think about things to be thankful for. You can always find something. And that will make you feel better, too. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. So it's a supernatural peace. It is not able to be explained will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That is how you deal with fear or anxiety. Yeah, you get to be like that as you mature, I think. You get to be like, you're just always talking to God. Yeah, a lot of talking back and forth to God. A lot of questioning, too, sometimes. And, uh, you know, that because this is a relationship, when you're a, a believer, it's not a set of rules or anything. It's a relationship with uh, God who made you. And uh, you're getting to uh, know him better. Yeah. Yeah, it's a supernatural book. Yeah. So section B is the Confession of Daniel. That's verses 4 through 14. So, yeah, I'll read that one. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame, as it is this day to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away, in all the countries to which you have driven them, because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servants the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. Thus he has confirmed his words which he had spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring on us great calamity, for under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what was done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us, for the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. Sometimes we're tough nuts to crack. So verse 4 so I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God, 
who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. So you want to love God and keep his commandments. And that would bring you blessing under the Mosaic Law. Okay? The Mosaic Law gave blessing for obedience. And it gave cursing for disobedience. And people tend to choose, left to themselves, disobedience. And that is why Israel was cursed many times. And specifically with the Babylonian captivity. That was one of the more severe curses that they had. It's the same with us. The blessings of life come to us when we love God and obey his commandments. Now, okay, we can be saved by pure belief in Jesus eternally. But if we want blessings now, then we love him and keep his commandments. There, that, that, that's kind of saying the same thing because God expects the way you show love for God is to obey his commandments. That's how you love him, you know, because you can't see him. You can't give him a hug, can you? No, you can't grab him, you know, and, and express affection to him. No, your affection is your obedience to him. That's your affection for him. So Daniel then says in verse 5, in verse 8, in verse 11, and in verse 15 that Israel had not been obedient. Why do you think they had such trouble with this? Yeah. What, did, what do we have that they did not have universally? When we believe... Something comes into us, right? Someone comes into us. Yes, we are possessed, as it were, by the Holy Spirit. That did not happen to them. Yeah, the Holy Spirit would come on people for service to empower them to do a certain thing, and then it would come off. You know, that's why David in Psalm 51 prayed after he had sinned with Bathsheba, O Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Um. And the Lord did not take the Holy Spirit from him, but he did take it away from Saul. But in the church age, the believer, when we believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in, he, will never, he never leaves. You cannot get rid of him. You can irritate him. You can grieve him. You know, you can quench him, but you cannot lose him. So we have an advantage that the Old Testament saints did not. Because they had the Mosaic Law, which was a standard, but they didn't really have the power to do it. The power to do it comes from the Holy Spirit. And so, no wonder <laughs> they were having trouble, you know, because they didn't have the, the capability to keep it. And that, that whole idea was to drive them to the Messiah. What they did instead is they made up a bunch of other rules that they could keep. And that was the rabbinic code, you know, that came. And that's why they killed Jesus, basically, because they wanted to stick with their man-made code that they could deal with instead of the Mosaic Law, which they could not deal with. So we have, uh, we have an advantage to the Old Testament saints. And that is spoken of by Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16. Paul is praying, he says, that he, the Father, would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. So the Holy Spirit gives power. Uh, power to do what God asks. That's great. Isn't it? So we do have the ability to do that. But it it comes through imbibing his word. That's where it comes from. So we want to be in the word a lot. A lot. So verse 6. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. 
so they refused to listen. The prophets had a tough job. Many times the prophets were executed in gruesome ways. So if you're going to be a prophet, you might not have a long career. Then in verse 12, says, Thus he has confirmed his words, which he had spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us, to bring on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what was done to Jerusalem. And that was the prophecy of Deuteronomy 28. And I, I won't go there right now, but, you know, Deuteronomy 28 was before they went into the land. Moses gave it to them before he turned over everything to Joshua. And uh, he prophesied these cycles of rebellion and punishment and including the Babylonian captivity it was prophesied back then, way back then, because God knows the end from the beginning, and he knew what they would do. Okay, so that's Daniel's confession. Section C is the petition of Daniel. That's 15 through 19. Should I keep reading? And now, O Lord our God, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as it is this day. We have sinned, we have been wicked. O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. And for your sake, he didn't say for my sake. He said for your sake, Lord. Let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own but on account of your great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action for your own sake. O my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. So, yeah, in verse 15, And now, O Lord our God, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. So the Lord does have a history of delivering Israel from Gentile bondage. He did it in Egypt. He did it in Babylon. Um, and he's, he has restored them, is restoring them from the worldwide dispersion after Titus of Rome. So he has a history of doing this, of restoring them. So then verse 16 O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our Father, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. So sin in Israel and in us as members of the church leads to reproach. Sin leads to reproach from everyone, from everywhere, from every direction. When you sin, you can expect reproach in many ways, and that is whether you're saved or if you're not saved. Sin leads to death eventually, and it leads to reproach. It leads to dishonor. It leads to all sorts of terrible things. So, um, And sin is a very sticky problem. So that is why we need to have continued fellowship with the Lord. That continued fellowship with the Lord is so important because when you are a saved person in fellowship with the Lord, that is when you do not sin. As you're in fellowship with the Lord, you don't sin. And you Yeah. And when you step out of fellowship with the Lord, then you begin to sin. So that is, that is why fellowship is important. And it's why church attendance is important. 
is why we are commanded to attend. Because we help each other, you know, when we get together and encourage each other. Because it's not an easy road. Yeah, yeah, it's not an easy road to walk with the Lord. If you're in fellowship with the Lord, you do. You do, yeah. Yeah, you don't you don't feel I don't know what it is. It's like you, you don't feel like you have to stick up for yourself. It is a nice feeling because the Lord has your back, you know. And so you don't have to worry about that at all. Yeah. Yeah, you have a lot of friends, people who will pray for you. Yeah. So verse 17 says, So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications, and for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. So that talks of, speaks of the doxological purpose of creation. Doxological, that's a big word. That's from the Greek word doxa, which means glory. The purpose of creation is God's glory. Yeah, like a doxology, you know? Yeah, a doxology is a song. Praise the Lord through whom all blessings flow. You know, yeah, that is from the Greek, the study of glory. And uh, so that is the purpose of all of creation. And that is the purpose of you. Your purpose is to glorify God. Because I got myself all worked up. Yeah, as a young man, I had no idea what I was for. Yep, mystery is solved. So Daniel does not really ask here for anything specifically, only that God act and relieve some of these judgments, you know, because Dan, because Jeremiah had said 70 years, it would be 70 years and it would be lifted. And so now Daniel is praying that that promise would be kept. So that means he's praying in accordance with God's will because it's written down in God's word. When you pray something that is written down in God's word, you can be certain that the Lord will answer that. Okay, so now we're going to get to the answer to that prayer, which is a prophecy. And that is the 77s. And that's verses 20 through 27. So we get the introduction to the messenger that gives the prophecy and then at the end, we'll hear the prophecy itself, which is very, very useful for understanding the end times. So verse 20, Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, so that was a, Fast answer. Then, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, that was back in chapter 8, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. He gave me instruction, so that would be about 3 p.m. He gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued. So God told Gabriel, go see him, right when he started to pray. And I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. Okay, here's the vision. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. 
and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end there will be war. Desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. Even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Okay, so that is the 70 weeks prophecy. So in verses 20 through 22, Daniel's prayer is answered immediately. So do you want your prayers answered? Yes. Yes, that's a silly question, isn't it? Of course, we want our prayers answered. How do you assure that your prayers are answered? Jesus tells us how, and we've talked about it already. John fifteen seven. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Okay, there's the Bible again. The Bible needs to be in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. That's how your prayers get answered. Abide in him. Have his words abiding in you. That will tune your mind to his frequency. And when you pray, he will respond. That is how you get your prayers answered. Very practical. <laughs> yes, very practical. So the messenger's name was Gabriel. We have a name of the messenger here. This is the same angel as in chapter 8, who interpreted the vision between the ram and the goat. So the, the prophecy itself says it was 70 weeks, and that is 70 weeks of years. And they're Jewish years. They're not the years that we have today. Jewish years were 12 months of 30 days each. So they're 360-day years. I think they're lunar years is how they work. And you see who it's for. These, this prophecy is for Daniel's people. Who's Daniel's people? Daniel's people is, the, yes, the Hebrews, the Jews. And your city, your holy city, and that is Jerusalem. So this prophecy is not for the Gentiles, which means it's not for the church, which is predominantly Gentile. Okay? This prophecy is for the Jews. It's for Israel, and that is important. And what is this for? It's to make an end of sin, including the judgments on people, to make atonement that was, what? how was atonement made? Yeah, Jesus hanging on a cross. That's how the atonement was made, crucifixion. Um to seal up vision and prophecy. So that means that all of the Old Testament prophecies, which are yet to be fulfilled, will be fulfilled in this time. Fulfilling the covenants, all of the Abrahamic covenants and the, its sub-covenants. So the land covenant, Israel will get the land they are promised. The seed covenant, the Messiah will come. Um, the... Uh, the blessing covenant, the new covenant will come upon Israel. All of those covenants will be fulfilled. And to anoint the most holy, so installation of the Messiah's king and the anointing of the temple, the millennial temple, which we talked about in Ezekiel. So that is what this prophecy is covering. And there are three periods of time mentioned First, there's seven weeks, which is seven times seven would be 49 years, right? That The total is 470 weeks would be 490 years, right? 70 weeks is 490 years total. The first seven weeks will be 49 years, and that will be to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. So that's one of the things Daniel was asking for, was please restore the, your holy mountain, which is the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, 
He was asking for Jerusalem to be restored. It had been destroyed. And the first section of this prophecy would be the, the restoration of that, but it will not be easy. It says it will be in times of distress. And we see that in Ezra, Ezra and Nehemiah. Jerusalem was rebuilt, but there was a lot of obstructions. There was a lot of threats. There was threats of killing, things like that. They had to build it while they were armed, you know. So they had to carry their weapons and build at the same time. So it was in a time of distress. And then after it was built, there are 62 weeks of years, which is 430 years, 434 years. And at that time, Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. Now that happened very literally when Jesus was crucified and he would have nothing. What was he, What did he come to get the first time? He came to get the kingdom. He came to present himself as the king of the Jews. And they were commanded in Deuteronomy chapter 18 to install him as the king. He's the one of God's own choosing. They were commanded and they failed miserably in that command and that was all God's plan so that Jesus would provide atonement for the sins of the world. So the Lord really is a genius. <laughs> you know, that is an understatement. He is a genius. Um, I do. I try. <laughs> so then, now, Harold Honer, I have a little book at home called The Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ. It's by a man named Harold Honer who is a Dallas seminary professor, he calculates from the, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. There are a couple of um, options for that date, but the, the one that fits the best is found in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, which I'll read to you quickly here. And it came about in the month Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, Why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad, when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate? Its gates have been consumed by fire. Then the king said to me, What would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. I said to the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me, because the good hand of my God was on me. That was the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And the date of that was March 5th, 444 B.C. That was the date that Artaxerxes of Persia told Nehemiah, gave him the decree to go and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, if you take 483 years, and you multiply that by 360 days, you come up with 173,880 days. If you count 
from March 5th, 444 B.C. for 173,880 days, you end up on March 30th, 33 A.D. Guess what day? Yeah, guess what day that was? You know this. No. (laughs) He was presenting himself as Messiah. So when did he do that? He rode into town on a donkey on Palm Sunday. That was the day. Isn't that? So talk about. See, numbers matter. When you're given a number in the Bible, the Lord is very accurate. Very accurate. So, so, and then what happened after? So it says after the 62 weeks. So the 62 weeks is counting that number of days. 173,880 from March 5th, 444 B.C. He presents himself as Messiah. After that, he is cut off. He was cut off a week after that. He was crucified. And then what happened? See, that's not the end of this prophecy. That's the end of verse 26. Because... Messiah will be cut off. He will have nothing as far as the... He's he's not king. Jesus was not made king. What is he now? He's high priest at God's right hand, and he's over the church. And then the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So what happened? About 40 years later, Titus of Rome came. And he destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the sanctuary. It was done exactly like Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse, because they set it on fire. They were Gold went down in between the bricks. And so they tore it apart brick by brick, just like he said, to get the gold. I mean, it's cool. So then, 2,000 years pass between verse 26 and verse 27. Verse 27 is unfulfilled. Verse 27 has not been fulfilled. That is what we're waiting for. But this just goes to show you how accurate biblical prophecies are. They are incredibly accurate. And that's why you have to pay attention to the details of them. You can't just gloss over them. So verse 27 is a gap, which is the entire church age. The the church was born with a miracle, with the falling of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. The church will end with a miracle, with the rapture of the church. And then this prophecy will pick up again. While the church is here, this prophecy will not start. The Lord has this on on, on off right now. And when the church is removed... So it's the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Verse 27 is the tribulation period. And it starts with a covenant with Israel. Verse 27, he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Okay, so we know that the Antichrist will, number one, he will sign a peace treaty with unbelieving Israel. Maybe it will be one of these Abraham Accord type things that are going on. I don't know. But three and a half years after that, and I'm thinking that that will have to do with the rebuilding of the temple. They, they want very badly to rebuild the temple right now, the Jews. They're being blocked by the Muslims, right? So there's going to be some deal worked out, and he will, the Antichrist will protect them. They'll be able to build their temple. And three and a half years later, he will desecrate it, and he will proclaim himself to be God. 
you won't be around. None of us will be around when that happens. We'll be up in heaven watching from afar. Yeah. So that that's why, you know, but the Bible clearly teaches a pre-tribulation rapture, so we'll be raptured before any of this happens. Thank goodness. Um, but, and that is the end of what the quarterly goes through. But that is a very cool prophecy, and we're waiting with bated breath. So f for this to happen, there has to be a temple in Jerusalem. has to be functioning. And uh, that's what we're, we're waiting for. And we personally, as the church, we're waiting for the rapture. That will come before this. Because this has to do with the Jews. It does not have to do with the church. Then, you know. Yeah, it is a powerful chapter. So just a couple things on the remaining parts. Chapter 10 is about spiritual warfare. If you want to learn about spiritual warfare, you can read chapter 10. Chapter 11 is an extremely detailed prophecy of the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it talks about Antiochus Epiphanes, who is a forerunner of the Antichrist. He also desolated the Jewish temple. And that was the time of the Maccabean revolt. Um, but that would take a whole course to go through that. That's so detailed. And then chapter 12 is a description of the resurrection of both the saved and the unsaved. It's probably the most complete dis description of resurrection in the Old Testament. It's really in chapter 12. Okay. Yeah. So, Lord, we thank you for this uh, prophecy of Daniel. Uh, we do see the world being lined up to uh, to go through this, and we look with we wait with bated breath for you to call us up in the air. We just pray you make us faithful until that time. In Jesus' name, amen.